It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. I have to start today on a sobering note as we are engulfed by the repercussions uh, over the siege at the Capitol, the insurrection at the Capitol just a few days ago. It could have been so much worse. Now that we're learning more about what happened, now that more videos are coming out, now that more pictures are coming out, I mean, this is absolutely chilling stuff, folks. We are lucky. America is lucky that only a few people were killed. America is lucky in light of the fact that there were such spectacular misjudgments and miscalculations on the part of numerous police forces uh, that this didn't end in a massacre. Because, you know, initially seeing... Uh, the videos that came out early on, and you saw a bunch of people who looked like clowns. They were carrying these flags, Trump flags, and uh, um, I mean, there were people there who just wanted to ransack the place and smear feces on the wall. And you saw that one bozo sitting in the Senate presiding officer's chair and that other clown who was sitting in Nancy Pelosi's office chair. And there was a tendency, I think, as horrifying as this was and as, as, as much suspense as there was last Wednesday on how this was going to end, there was a tendency to think that these are just a bunch of, um, you know, lunatics and people who don't live in the real world uh, just thought this was uh, having a lot of fun, despite the fact that these are very serious crimes. I mean, these, this is this is terrorism. Let's not mince any words about it. But now we know that there was within the contingents that broke in to our symbol of democracy, the Capitol building. And I'm sorry, this is very personal for me because I've spent so many days, so many hours over so many years covering congressional hearings, interviewing people there, you know, taking family members on tours. I worked two blocks in the Capitol. So, you know, this was my neighborhood they were invading. But there were people who brought uh, pipes and explosives and scaling equipment, uh, all kinds of stuff. Some of these people were setting out to murder members of Congress. Mike Pence could have been killed. Nancy Pelosi could have been wounded or killed. Uh, This could have been so much worse. And it it was only, as one of the videos shows, it was a lone African-American Capitol Police officer who was backing up as as the mob was approaching in a very dicey situation. But he had enough forethought to lead them, to fake them out and lead them um, to a, a, a another public part of the Capitol, and not they were headed for the Senate chamber. Had they breached the Senate chamber before these reinforcements arrived, and they arrived way, way, way too late, we would have seen um, members of Congress killed. There's no doubt in my mind that was the plan. The plan was foiled, and part of it was just happenstance and luck, and part of it was the bravery of officers like this. When you see the videos now, of these people who were supposed to be, you know, we're, we want to overturn the stolen election because we support President Trump, who's always been a big police backer, you know, seriously beating a police officer with an American flagpole, a flagpole with the American flag on it. It is just absolutely atrocious. Um, and I don't understand, I mean, if, if, if any foreign terrorists have done this? Don't you think we'd be seeing news conference after news conference about the state of the investigation? Other than local D.C. officials, 
I haven't seen an FBI news conference. I haven't seen a Homeland Security news conference. I haven't seen a White House news conference. Finally, uh, the White House lowered the flags uh, to fly at half-staff after several days um, over the the death of the Capitol police officer. Um, And so, you know, this was not just, you know, some unfortunate interlude by whack jobs. This was serious stuff, folks. And the new reporting, some of it in the Washington Post, uh, the Capitol Police Chief, Stephen Sund, who has since resigned, has given an interview. And part of it is deflecting blame, of course, because he made really serious mistakes and he should have resigned. Um, But he's now saying that he went to the security officials of the House and the Senate to ask their permission. By the way, I don't understand why he needs their permission. He's the head of the Capitol Police Force to ask that the D.C. National Guard be placed on standby, uh, standby excuse me, in case uh, he needed quick backup. But in an interview yesterday, he said he was turned down. Oh, the House Sergeant of Arms, a guy named Paul Irving, said he wasn't comfortable with the optics, according to Sun. Yeah, how about the optics of dead people? Is that better than the optics of the National Guard being brought in to protect our nation's capital? And the sar- uh, Senate Sergeant in Arms, Michael Stenger, said, well, you know, you ought to just informally feel it out with your National Guard contacts, asking them to lean forward. So this was historic miscalculation because the National Guard should have been on duty there. Because if you went onto any social media site, including Parler, which has now been taken offline, and I'll talk about that later in the podcast, you saw these actual threats. You didn't just see people saying, hey, come to Washington and demonstrate for President Trump or against uh, the Biden victory. You saw actual threats of violence. So it wasn't until 2.26 in the afternoon on the day of this insurrection that Sun uh, says he joined a conference call to the Pentagon to plead for additional backup from the National Guard. I am making an urgent, urgent, immediate request for National Guard assistance, Sun recalled, saying, I have got to get boots on the ground. So who was on that call? Some D.C. government officials, officials from the Pentagon, including the uh, lieutenant general who directs the army staff. And they were turned down. Uh, Walter Pyatt, Lieutenant General Walter Pyatt, said he could not recommend that his boss, who's the army secretary, Ryan McCarthy, approve the request. I don't like the visual of the National Guard standing on a police line with the Capitol in the backdrop. Again, with the visuals and the optics. Head should roll over this. Um, a, a, a staffer for Mayor Mueller Bowser, Muriel Bowser says, listen, literally, this guy is on the phone. I mean, crying out for help. It's burned in my memories. So by the time the National Guard gets there, it's 20 minutes to six. The thing is basically over. It's too late. And four people are dead. Yes, I know some of them died because of medical emergencies. But, you know, you had the shooting of one of the protesters, a woman who was an Air Force veteran, and you had the tragic death of a Capitol Police officer um, killed in the line of duty. New York Times has its own recounting here, how it took four hours for the National Guard to arrive. The The chaos showed that government agencies have no coordinated plan to defend against an attack on the Capitol. Yeah, what if this was an actual terrorist attack? I mean, it was a domestic terror attack, but what if, um, you know, what if some foreign adversary had planned this? What if it was a 9-11-style attack? All this lack of coordination and all this bureaucratic bull. Well, I couldn't make the request because I got to go through this person who has to talk to the army secretary. I mean, this is how you deal with an emergency in which lives are at stake, in which 
the vice president of the United States, the House Speaker, the Senate Majority Leader, and all of the rank and file in the House and Senate, their lives were on the line. And, and people were like, oh, I couldn't do it, and i got to ask this guy. And he says it's the optics. Horrible. And we also now know that the day before or days before, the FBI and the NYPD warned the Capitol Police about these domestic terror threats, which were not even a secret. It was all playing out on social media. And yes, President Trump deserves, deserves a lot of the blame for constantly summoning these people to D.C. for January 6th. It's going to be wild, the president said. And not speaking out, uh, not going on television to urge them to stand down until he had to be urged to do so by his staff. There are a couple of media reports that he initially enjoyed seeing them, uh, his people go into the Capitol. They could have been holding hostages. I, you know, the mind boggles at how much worse this could have been. Um, Washington Post says that lawmakers who hunkered down together for safety, uh, oh, this is, uh, this is so great, in addition to everything else. The lawmakers who were sheltered in place, hunkered down for safety with a bunch of other fellow lawmakers, may be exposed to somebody in the same room who was infected with coronavirus. This is according to the Capitol physician. So that must make them feel really good as well. Meanwhile, there is the question of what happens now and where the politics stand, and more specifically, the question of impeachment. So it seems clear right now that what's going to happen probably by the time you hear this is that House Democrats are going to introduce a resolution. This is Nancy Pelosi's plan. Calling on Vice President Pence and the cabinet to invoke the 25th Amendment and strip President Trump of the powers of his office. This is also an attempt to pressure him into resigning, which I think it's safe to say is not going to happen. Pelosi escalated the pressure on Pence by sending a letter to her colleagues yesterday, calling them to respond within 24 hours. Now, look, they know full well that Mike Pence, even though he is very angry and upset with the president, and even though the president's angry and upset with him because he has this delusion that Mike Pence had the power, which he does not, to not accept the Electoral College results. Um, so Pence is not going to do it. He doesn't respond until 24 hours. That is, uh, takes you to Tuesday. And then Pelosi has signaled she'll bring, the House will bring an impeachment case to the floor. The draft impeachment article has already been leaked. It includes, by the way, the president's call to Brad Raffensperger, the Georgia Republican Secretary of State, to pressure him into intervening in the Georgia count, uh, as well as, you know, the, uh, the charge is going to be that he incited a riot and endangered members of Congress trying to overturn uh, election results that no court and the Justice Department have found to be illegitimate on the basis of widespread fraud. Um, Nancy says in the letter, in protecting our Constitution and our democracy, we will act with urgency. Well, meanwhile, I know there were procedural uh, hang-ups, but they couldn't do anything over the weekend because of some arcane rule about coming back on Monday and you had to have unanimous consent. Again, the, the, the red tape and procedural snafus of Congress make it unable to act quickly on anything. I mean, I have serious doubts as an analyst about impeachment. As, as a journalist, it's not my role to take a stand, yes or no, but I'll tell you what those are in a minute. But, you know, and then you get to Mitch McConnell. He's like, well, we couldn't possibly take this up until January 19th or 20th because we need unanimous consent. Well, of course, McConnell doesn't want to do that. He wants the idea that the uh, Senate wouldn't take up 
a House-approved impeachment until the day of Joe Biden's inauguration to be a deterrent. Like, don't do it. And then by the time you have the trial, Trump is out of office. Now, I didn't even know you could impeach somebody who was out of office. It seems counterintuitive because the whole purpose of impeachment is to remove somebody who is considered to have committed impeachable acts, broken the law, high crimes and misdemeanors is the phrase in the Constitution as it applies to the President of the United States. Well, if he's already gone, um, why are you doing it? You're doing it just to deliver the verdict of history. And yes, I know Democrats say that if Trump gets, gets convicted even after his term is expired, then he can't run again in 2024. So a lot of this ends up to be nothing more than political maneuvering. Um, the strongest argument the Republicans will have, I mean, it gives them an out. They can say, well, you know, I have serious concerns about what the president did. But he's gone in, you know, then you fill in the blank. He's gone in nine days. He's gone in eight days. He's gone in seven days. The smaller the number of days, the more um, unrealistic it sounds that you don't have to have an impeachment. Again, I'm not taking a stand on that. But what's the point of having an impeachment? I mean, symbolically, it would go down in the history books, even if the Senate didn't act. That, the, that President Trump was the only chief executive in our nation's history who was impeached twice. Um, so that's the symbolism of it. But he's going to be gone anyway. He's going to leave office on January 20th. Even he now says that. Uh, Pelosi says, as the days go by, the horror of the ongoing assault on our democracy perpetrated by this president is intensified, and so is the immediate need for action. Now, look, I can certainly see this being personal for Nancy Pelosi. Not only was her office ransacked, but she heard, you know, she was behind a locked door. They were pounding on the door. She was worried about her staff. She told 60 Minutes in an interview last night, the president is unhinged. Uh, it's pretty harrowing, as she described what she and her staff went through. So you can't separate somebody who's been through that and watched her colleagues go through that, watch her staff members go through that, wanting to push impeachment. But now this seems there's a bit of an off-ramp. So Jim Clyburn, who's the number three Democrat in the House, said, you know, here's what we might do. We might impeach Trump uh, on Wednesday, week before Inauguration Day. He said this on CNN. And then we might delay sending the article of impeachment to the Senate. Maybe until after Biden's first 100 days in office. Because look, here's the problem. Forget about the pageantry, and it's not going to be much because of COVID, but you know, the, the, the ritual, everybody will watch on television, is Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are sworn in as president and vice president of the United States. But then Biden's got a pandemic to deal with. There's a report today in Politico that he's dressed down his staff, that he wants more aggressive action to get to that goal of uh, inoculating uh, with the vaccine, 100 million Americans in the first 100 days. So instead of working on that, instead of passing legislation dealing with the economy, more larger stimulus checks, the Senate's going to be tied up with an impeachment trial. So now here's uh, Clyburn saying, well, we'll delay sending it over. Now, after the first 100 days, do you think there's going to be any momentum at all to go after former President Trump, who have been out of office for over three months? I don't think so. But, you know, it's kind of a way of rationalizing, well... We'll impeach him, but then we won't follow through. Meanwhile, you had uh, Republican Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania becoming the second Republican senator to call on Trump to resign, joining Lisa Murkowski, who's an independent, but caucuses with the Republicans. Um, courageous for Murkowski to do, not so courageous for Toomey to do, because he's not running for re-election. Therefore, he can say these things. Now, what are people saying about the, the various calls for impeachment? Here's Jim Garrity in National Review, conservative magazine, um, who says he's against impeachment. 
Uh, and he, first of all, he, he allows proponents to make the case. He says, uh, Trump uh, told the crowd that Mike Pence could reverse the outcome of the election, then tweeted that Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done. The angry mob that ransacked Capitol Hill ran through the halls, specifically chanting, where is Pence? And, of course, hang Mike Pence, which, of course, became a, a hashtag on Twitter, which doesn't have any problem um, shutting down President Trump's account, but doesn't penalize anybody who's tweeting, hang Mike Pence. Selective enforcement, perhaps? Uh, and, and then, you know, um, Garrity says, if this isn't the sort of action that warrants an expeditious removal from office, what is? It makes the Ukraine phone call look like a grammatical error. And then, by the way, he says that White House aides who were um, anonymously telling reporters as one telling Axios that Trump is mentally unreachable, maybe this is a month of an emergency for you to go on the record and have your name used. Uh, Garrity asks, is Trump any crazier today than he was last week, last month, or last year? Uh, there's crazy as in mentally ill and there's crazy as in spectacularly unwise. Um, he talks about Andy McCarthy, longtime Trump supporter at National Review, often uh, on Fox News, saying it would be difficult at this point to impeach a president with anything approaching the legitimate due process we would want as a precedent for future impeachments. That's McCarthy's point of view. But Garrity says, look, highly abnormal circumstances warrant highly unusual responses. And not invoking the 25th and not impeaching Trump means that the congressional response to his actions will be nothing. That's Garrity's case. Don't go anywhere. More Buzzmeter coming your way in just a moment. Uh, meanwhile, you got a whole uh, a lot of other action going on, particularly on social media. And by the way, because I've raised free speech concerns about what Twitter has done, and Facebook has done at least until January 20th, it doesn't mean, I got a lot of email like, you're saying it's okay to be a criminal, and how are you defending Trump on this, and so forth. What I'm saying is that if Twitter has instituted a lifetime ban against Donald Trump, um, which includes when he's a private citizen, um, that Twitter, which is a left-leaning company, just like Mark Zuckerberg's Facebook is a left-leaning company, uh, it waited until he's a lame duck. It also waited until, you know, the insurrection at the Capitol. I do have to acknowledge that to say we can't possibly have Donald Trump anymore. But the problem is, um, and by the way, a whole lot of conservatives have been saying they've lost 10, 000, tens of thousands or uh, 20,000 or 30,000 or 40,000 followers. Twitter now says that's a routine audit of people, whether they have real email addresses and so forth. But the perception is that Twitter only goes after conservatives. And if Twitter's going to do that and more people are going to leave Twitter, there's going to be an undermining of confidence in Twitter. And yes, I get the argument. It's not the First Amendment that's at issue here. Twitter is a private company. It can kick off anybody it likes. It can say, we don't like conservatives. You don't get to use Twitter. But Twitter is also, like Facebook, kind of a public utility. It still has that protection which Trump wants to get rid of, it's called Section 230, legal immunity for what people post on Twitter. Twitter can't be sued over that. I think there's going to be government regulation of Twitter. Again, whether you agree or disagree with the banning of President Trump's account, now you have Parler. So Parler is this, uh, has been surging. I guess it had about 15 million because when, when conservatives turned on Twitter, uh, Parler was founded by John Matz, M-A-T-Z-E, 27 years old, software engineer from Las Vegas, as uh, being an alternative for free speech. And a lot of conservatives and some Trump supporters uh, flocked there. 
And it has some standards. It says you can't incite violence. But on Parler, there have been a lot of violent threats. By the way, there have been some on, on Twitter as well and elsewhere on social media. So suddenly, Apple decided, ah, we can't have Parler on our iPhones. And Google decided, we can't have Parler in our App Store. And Amazon decided it would no longer host the site. Amazon has a whole web hosting uh, service. Can't possibly uh, host that because Parler, these big, giant Silicon Valley tech companies say, hasn't sufficiently policed posts that incited violence and crime. Now, I'm sympathetic to that, but the reason I think it was kind of a pretext is that Amazon and Apple gave them 24 hours. If you don't clean this up in 24 hours, you're gone. Well, no company could do that. They apparently removed uh, some of these things. So here's um, John Match, the CEO. John Matz uh, telling the New York Times, um, I, I, he said this on Parler, actually. I believe Amazon, Google, Apple work together to try to ensure they don't have competition. They will not win. We have the world's last hope for free speech and free information. He said the app would probably shut down for a week or so as we rebuild from scratch. But Parler now has a problem. Parler has to find somebody to host it. By the way, Congressman Devin Nunes, Republican, told Fox News yesterday, Republicans have no way to communicate. And he asked his followers to text him to stay in touch. Lou Dobbs of Fox Business wrote on Parler that the app has a strong antitrust case against the tech companies amid such perilous times. Uh, as to Devin Nunes, I would just say, first of all, you're a member of Congress. You can put out press releases. You can talk to reporters. You can hold news conferences. Second of all, and as you did, you went on Fox News. Second of all, um, Congressman Nunes is still on Twitter. Uh, all the Republican members of Congress are still on Twitter. Twitter hasn't taken any of them offline, so they do have ways to communicate. Uh, I don't blame them for saying that Parler shouldn't be shut down because it be, has become a kind of a conservative ha haven. Uh, but this does raise the larger question, which is, if Amazon and Apple and Twitter and Google are private companies and they can ban whoever they want and they can shut down a rival service like Parler, then they have even more power than we thought because they can decide who stays online and who doesn't, which companies stay online and which companies don't. And I got to say, it's pretty politically convenient for left-leaning companies like particularly uh, Twitter and Facebook to decide to do this just as Democrats are taking control of both houses of Congress and the White House. So they could be sucking up the Democrats, sticking it to Trump, and again, I'm not defending Trump's actions here. I'm talking about the larger principle of free speech. I'm talking about the larger uh, concerns about political retaliation. Because in the future, there may be very unpopular Democrats. And suddenly you might have conservatives pressuring companies not to hire them, pressuring um, hosting services not to allow them online, pressuring social media companies not to let them have social media accounts. This can go both ways. This can be a double-edged sword. Uh, and that's why I think it's so important and it needs to be such an important debate about this. Speaking of debate, Cumulus Media, which is a giant radio company, uh, which probably has a radio station in your town, which also happens to employ some of the most popular conservative talk radio hosts in the U.S., has put out a memo. This was a, a scoop for the Washington Post telling its on-air personalities to stop suggesting the election was stolen from President Trump or else you can be fired. 
Here's the memo from Brian Phillips. He's the executive VP of content at Cumulus. We need to help induce national calm now, all caps. Um, we will not tolerate any suggestion that the election has not ended. The election has been resolved and there are no alternate acceptable paths. And here comes the kicker. If you transgress this policy, you can expect to separate from the company immediately. Now, who are some of the conservative voices on Cumulus? Well, there's Mark Levin, who also has a show on Fox. There's Ben Shapiro, who has a huge following with his podcasts and his books. There's Dan Bongino, who also appears quite a bit on Fox. And they have all been talking about things. For example, Mark Levin on his uh, radio show the day before the insurrection at the Capitol. Um, he described the Electoral College certification as an act of tyranny. Now, some of the Cumulus has 416 radio stations. That includes um, WMAL in Washington, KABC in Los Angeles, WLS in Chicago, KGO in San Francisco. Now, Rush Limbaugh is not a part of Cumulus, so he's not affected by this, but he appears on a lot of Cumulus stations because often it's, you know, some of the biggest stations in that particular city. Uh, now, again, we're into the private company thing. Cumulus has the right to do this. Is it telling, is it trampling on the rights of its employees uh, to uh, say what, what their opinions are, even if their opinions are incendiary? Well, yeah, but they, they pay them, and they have the right to do this, and they have right to get rid of them. Uh, now, are they right that the election wasn't stolen, and would it be good for America if people stopped saying that? Yeah, probably. But I'm sure that some, I mean, and now the question is, will some of these conservative folks go along or will they defy cumulus and risk being fired or have, perhaps be fired? Meanwhile, uh, you have, again, the whole question about private companies. You have Goldman Sachs freezing donations through its pack and wants to look at how people acted during this period. It means they're looking at Republicans. J.P. Morgan Chase, same thing. Citigroup, same thing. Meanwhile, Marriott says it will no longer, or at least stop for now, giving donations through its PAC to the Republicans who voted against certification of the election. That means Ted Cruz. That means Josh Hawley. And that means the 126 or 36, sorry, I'm not remembering the exact figure, more than 120 House Republicans who voted with the leaders, Kevin McCarthy and others, not to certify the election. Blue Cross and Blue Shield also freezing donations. Now, here, I have to say, you know, any company in America, any PAC in America is entitled to give money or not give money to politicians and political action groups based on their actions. Like, that's how it works. If you support what people do, you give them money. If you don't support what people do, you don't give them money, or more frequently in American politics, you give money to their opponents. Um, but there is a coordinated effort here with anti-Trump groups like the Lincoln Project to make Donald Trump and anybody who worked for him and anybody who supported him and Republicans who supported the challenge to the Electoral College to make them radioactive. There's going to be a big public campaign to do this. Now, again, they have the constitutional right to do this, but it's getting a little chilling. Uh, and I think a lot of people will be hurt who are not the big boys and girls, who are not the players. In other words, you work for a law firm and you represented the, the RNC, okay, you know, you're fair game. But what if you're a lawyer at that firm? You had nothing to do with politics. You're just representing, you know, corporate clients. What if you're an administrative assistant at uh, some company that gets targeted because 
the company provided payroll services to the Trump campaign. There's a company called Stripe that now says it will no longer process checks checks for what remains of the Trump campaign. A lot of people who just aren't even political, they're just worker bees, are going to get hurt by this. And it's just getting ugly. I got to say, it's just getting ugly. Another example, the PGA, the Professional Golf Association of America, has now canceled plans to hold its championship next year at the Trump National Golf Club in Bedminster, which we all know in New Jersey because Trump goes there uh, as often, you know, uh, his summer White House goes to Mar-a-Lago for the winter. Lost the, lost the marquee PGA event. That's the PGA's right. But again, you have private companies making decisions about who's toxic and who's not. Melania Trump has put out a statement after several days of silence. I am disappointed and disheartened. What happened last week, I find it... Uh, and she says, our nation must heal in a civil matter. Make no mistake about it. I absolutely condemn the violence that has occurred on our nation's capital. But then she goes off and says, I find it shameful that surrounding these tragic events, there has been salacious gossip, unwarranted personal attacks, and false misleading accusations on me from people who are looking to be relevant and have an agenda. She's referring there, we believe, to her former chief of staff, uh, Stephanie um, Winston Walcott, uh, who turned on her, wrote her tell-all book, secretly recorded her, and is quoted in the Daily Beast, as saying, you know, Melania's complicit here and so forth, and why hasn't she spoken out? And look, uh, I can understand that being painful for Melania Trump. Some people are saying she's criticizing her because she's finally speaking out, and she's partially making it about her. But you are entitled to defend yourself in the United States of America. Um, If you haven't seen it, Arnold Schwarzenegger has an awesome um, video posted on Twitter and perhaps elsewhere where he talks about growing up in Austria, where he talks about the Nazis and Kristallnacht. And he's entitled to talk about Nazis. I always say no one should talk about Nazis in American politics because because his country, you know, um, ended up collaborating with the Nazis. He talked about his dad and how his dad uh, was a broken man and became an alcoholic and would come home and beat him and terrorize Arnold's mother. Says he's never talked about that before. It's getting very personal. Maureen Dowd of the New York Times has a column, of course, bashing Trump and so forth. But she talks about her dad. Her dad was a member of the D.C. police force, and then he became a plainclothes detective in charge of Senate security. And she and her brothers, you know, served as interns, uh, so she knows the Capitol intimately. Her dad was on duty during 1954 when Puerto Rican nationalists invaded Congress and fired round after round. On the House floor, five congressmen were wounded. Her dad, Maureen Dowd's dad, you know, grabbed the gun from one of those perpetrators. And he carved his initials into it with a penknife so that they could be sure at the trial that that was the gun used in that horrible attack uh, more than half a century ago. So, of course, she takes it personally what happened in the Capitol, as so many of us do. And just to end on a bit of a lighter note here, um, Kamala Harris is on the cover of Vogue. And Vogue is getting a lot of criticism because although online it has the typical power shot where she's in a blue suit and her arms are crossed and the next vice president of the United States, but on the print magazine, I actually think it's a very cool picture because it's Kamala, remember, and she dressed herself for this. So it's not like Vogue gave her a bunch of clothing. She's dressed in a, a nice um, 
you know, designer jacket, but black pants and sneakers. She wore Keds often on the campaign trail. And it's kind of a casual shot. And it's kind of a cool-looking photo, but, you know, now Anna Wintour is being cute. Oh, she's wearing a blazer, jeans, excuse me, not kids, Converse sneakers. Can't get that wrong. Uh, Twitter has exploded far below the standards of Vogue. It's disrespectful. Anna Wintour is accused of being racist because this is the first African-American uh, person to become vice president. Um, there's a counter-argument here, which is, you know, I think it's actually more of a powerful photo because it shows Kamala Harris as a human being. As, as, as not just uh, in a power suit. You may disagree. It's obviously a bit unprecedented, but we're in unprecedented times. Uh, the thing is, Harris is said to be upset because it violated the agreement she had with Vogue about what image would be on the cover. If that's true, then that's bad. By the way, I don't think magazines should be making these deals um, with politicians. A news magazine would never do that. But, you know, Vogue, the fashion magazines, they play by a different set of standards. Thank you for listening. I hope you stay safe, particularly with the COVID surge. I hope you'll subscribe to our podcast, and I will see you all tomorrow with more BuzzMeet. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. 